Welcome to the AAP Board Review Series. This is an educational podcast series that covers high-yield topics in physical medicine and rehabilitation. My name is Dr. Ben Burnham. And my name is Dr. Logan Mag. We're both physiatry residents at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. In this episode, we are covering spinal orthoses and their functions with indications for their use. The AAP Board Review Series is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be used to diagnose, prevent, or treat any diseases or conditions. The views expressed are solely those of the host and do not represent the official views of any policy or entity. Let's get started. Starting at the most cephalad portion of the spine, we're going to talk about cervical orthoses first. Well, the first one that comes to mind is the soft cervical collar, although I know they don't really provide much stability or motion control. That's right. Typically, they are made of polyethylene or a soft rubber, but they don't provide any control of motion at the cervical spine. Instead, they serve as a kinesthetic reminder to the wearer to limit motion. Additionally, they can retain body heat, which could reduce muscle spasms and assist with soft tissue injury healing and recovery. So when would I want my patient to use a soft cervical collar? Typically, when you want to treat the symptoms after a soft tissue injury of the neck. Although you want to limit use to no more than 10 days, as you risk psychological dependency and muscle atrophy with prolonged use. Gotcha. So maybe after a car accident that caused a whiplash injury? Exactly. Or I can think of a couple whiplash-inducing flip-flopping politicians who might need them. So what about the uh, rigid cervical collars? When would I prefer one of those over the soft collar? You have several more options to choose from for the rigid C collars. These provide more restriction to the cervical flexion, extension, rotation, and lateral bending than the soft collar. The Thomas collar is two pieces, firm plastic with padding, and is held in place with Velcro straps. This one offers a little more restriction than the soft collar, but still is only indicated for soft tissue injuries. What about a patient with a stable bony or ligamentous injury? For example, a vertebral wedge fracture in the anterior one-third of the vertebral body of, say, C5. The fact that the bony fracture is stable, you can use a Philadelphia collar. It is more restrictive and provides more stability as it encompasses the lower jaw and occiput, extending to the thorax. However, patients often find them uncomfortable. Other variants of the Philadelphia collar include Miami J, Malibu, and Newport, which provide varying levels of restriction and can be more expensive. One could also use these orthoses when weaning off a more restrictive orthosis after prolonged use. That's right. Let's talk about high yield points. So I learned that there are soft and rigid cervical orthoses. Soft collars are useful for their kinesthetic reminder for soft tissue injuries, while rigid collars are more restrictive and thus more supportive for stable bone or ligament injuries. That's right. There's some variance between them, so finding one that is medically appropriate but tolerated by the patient can be difficult. Some patients are excited to get rid of the collars, while some may develop that psychological dependence and be more hesitant to remove it, so it's important to be aware of muscular atrophy with prolonged immobilization. That's helpful. So what about cervicothoracic orthoses? I'm glad you brought that up. Cervicothoracic orthoses, or CTOs, have the same cervical support we talked about, plus varying degrees of thoracic stability. Some are CTO in name, but really serve to support the cervical spine with little thoracic support. 
like the sternooccipital mandibular immobilizer or the SOMI? Yeah, it has a chest piece that connects via uprights to an occipital plate. It provides additional support points for restriction of the C-spine, but does not support the thoracic spine. You may use this one for stable cervical fractures and post-surgical fusions. It has the added benefit of being easier to apply to supine patients and has a detachable mandibular piece for easier hygiene and eating in the supine position. So I'm just picturing Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Would you say that's accurate? <laughs> Whoa, man. This is physiatry, not psychiatry. I would say that's inaccurate. All right, all right. So what about poster type CTOs? There are a couple different types. Two, three, and four poster orthoses. Poster, like the post on a bed, are posts that connect sternal and thoracic components to mandibular and occipital components for cervical spine control. With the positioning of the post, these braces provide better restriction for flexion and extension than rotation or lateral bending. So what's the indication for a poster brace CTO? A stable cervical fracture or arthritis, which is similar indication to a rigid cervical collar. These braces have fallen out of favor as they are typically bulkier than cervical collars. So I have a couple different options for stable cervical fractures, but what about an unstable cervical fracture? For example, a burst fracture in the posterior one half of the C4 vertebral body. You can use a Minerva body jacket, also called the Minerva CTO or a halo vest CTO. Both provide the highest restriction of cervical motion. The Minerva CTO encloses the entire posterior skull and a forehead band, while a halo vest is a rigid ring secured to the skull via four pins that are surgically inserted into the bone and affixed via four posts to a thoracic vest. The halo vest provides the best control of motion, while the Minerva is a lighter weight and less invasive, so generally better tolerated. Well, I would imagine that the halo vest carries a risk of infection and pin slippage along with the risk of pressure ulcers in dependent areas of the scapula and sternum. Yeah, you're right. Both the Minerva and the halo vest are indicated for unstable cervical fractures. Generally, if it's a higher cervical fracture, then the halo vest is preferred. Great. Let's talk about some high-yield points for CTOs. Most CTOs, despite the name, do not provide adequate stabilization at the thoracic level. Examples include the SOMI, the Yale, a poster CTO, the Minerva, and the halo vest. These all include a chest piece or thoracic component to provide more cervical restriction. It is important to be aware of pressure ulcers at dependent points in the vest, as well as the occiput when supine. Indications include a stable cervical fracture for use of a SOMI or Yale poster brace CTO. When you have an unstable cervical fracture, you need more restriction and stability provided by the Minerva or halo vest. A high cervical fracture, generally C1 or C2, is when you would apply the halo vest. All right, let's keep working our way down the spine. So next up are the thoracolumbar sacral orthoses, or TLSOs. Judging by the name, I'd say that covers the thoracic, lumbar, and sacrum. Absolutely. So these extend from the sacrum up to above the inferior angle of the scapula. They're primarily used for cases where stabilization of the trunk is needed, like in truncal paralysis, post-spinal fusion surgery, or even to prevent the progression of moderate scoliosis and thoracic kyphosis. I've seen a few different patients with TLSOs, 
but I have a hard time telling them apart. What about some of the different ones? Well, the Taylor brace is a flexion extension control TLSO. It has two posterior paraspinal bars that are attached inferiorly to a pelvic band. Superiorly, it's attached by an interscapular band that stabilizes the two bars and also serves as an attachment for straps that go under the axilla. It also has an anterior abdominal support that helps to increase intracavitary pressure. That's right. Now, isn't there another TLSO similar to the Taylor brace? You're right again. There is another one called the Knight Taylor brace. I always remember this one by thinking of Bob Knight. Bob Knight? The Hoosers coach that threw the chair? And boom goes the dynamite. Nothing gets past you, Logan. Bob Knight was famous for taking things a little further. And that's what the Knight Taylor TLSO does. It has the base of the Taylor, but also has lateral bands and a thoracic band to restrict lateral bending. These are indicated for post-surgical or non-surgical management of stable thoracic or lumbar fractures. You would not use these for unstable fractures. What type of TLSO would you be recommending for a patient with a compression fracture of the lower thoracic or thoracolumbar region? Well, the two options you'd have there are the Jewett hyperextension brace or the cash TLSO. Cash, like cash money? Think more like cruciform anterior spinal hyperextension. This provides flexion control for the thoracolumbar region through a vertical bar that is attached to a sternal and suprapubic pad. It gets the name cruciform because it makes the shape of a cross with a horizontal bar that connects posterior and anterior lateral pads to the vertical upright. Yeah, I guess that would make more sense. What about the Jewett brace? Like the cache, this is used to prevent flexion after compression fractures, so patients are able to be upright. This has a sternal pad, suprapubic pad, and anterior lateral pads that are connected by oblique lateral uprights that are counteracted by a dorsolumbar pad. Wouldn't that put a lot of pressure on the bladder? It can. So if patients can't tolerate the suprapubic pad, that can be modified with a boomerang pad, which applies the force on the iliac crests. If the sternal pads cause excessive pressure, subclavicular pads can be added to distribute that pressure more evenly. All that support sounds like it would really limit spinal flexion, but would it cause the patient to go into excessive extension? Yeah, you're right. In fact, the use of the Jewett brace in compression fractures of elderly patients with osteoporosis is controversial because those excessive hyperextension forces could induce posterior element fractures or worsen degenerative arthritis. Well, before we stir the pot on that anymore, I say we cut to a high yield review. Let's do it. TLSOs as a whole are indicated when stabilization of the trunk is needed, like in truncal paralysis, post-spinal fusion surgery, and even to prevent the progression of moderate scoliosis and thoracic kyphosis. Great. The Taylor brace provides some flexion and extension control, while the Knight Taylor brace takes it a step further and adds some lateral support. Finally, the Cash and Jewett brace are indicated for mild compression fractures of the thoracolumbar region. The Jewett has more lateral support than the Cash, and you should consider the risk of using them in elderly osteoporotic patients. Alright, let's move on. I know you mentioned TLSOs can be used to treat scoliosis. When would you recommend one to a patient? 
Well, they're most commonly prescribed for patients with idiopathic or flexible congenital scoliosis. When the Cobb angle is between 25 to 40 degrees, puberty has not finished, and the scoliosis shows signs of progression. So it's only recommended when the Cobb angle is between 25 to 40 degrees. That's right. If the Cobb angle is less than 20 degrees, then just observation or conservative management is recommended. When it's greater than 40 degrees, they should be evaluated for surgical correction. So 25 to 40 degrees is the sweet spot to get them into a brace. All right, 25 to 40 degrees. I should be able to remember that. So what brace is recommended for scoliosis? Well, this all comes down to where the apex of the curve is located. If it's a single lumbar curve, a lumbosacral orthosis could be used. If the apex is at T9 or lower, then you could use a TLSO. But if the apex of the curve is at T8 or above, you would need to use a CTSLO. Oh, so there are a few options based on where the apex of the curve is. You got it, Logan. The main CTLSO that's recommended is called the Milwaukee brace. Now, most of my knowledge about Milwaukee comes from Alice Cooper in Wayne's World. Did you know that Milwaukee is Algonquin for the good land? I was not aware of that. Well, you should probably watch more Wayne's World. Anyways, the Milwaukee brace is a CTLSO that has a rigid plastic pelvic girdle that's connected to a neck ring over the upper thorax by a single broad anterior bar and two posterior paraspinal bars. The cervical ring has mandibular and occipital bars that rest inferior to the mandible and occiput. There are pads strapped to the bars that apply a transverse load to the ribs and spine to correct the scoliotic curvature. That sounds like a pretty intense brace. Are there more low-profile braces that can be recommended for back pain? Yeah, that brings us to our final topic of corsets. Corsets? Like what the Kardashians use? You know, honestly, it's hard to keep up with them, so I couldn't really tell you. I can tell you that a corset or flexible spinal orthoses are available in a lot of different styles. There are thoracolumbar sacral, thoracolumbar, lumbar, lumbosacral, and sacroiliac. So when would you recommend one of these corsets? Well, the efficacy of these are somewhat controversial, but the lumbar sacral corset is most commonly recommended for low back pain or muscle strains. It's made out of fabric or a canvas with pouches for vertical stays. I'm thinking of a power lifter strapping on a weightlifting belt and pulling a huge deadlift. Well, it works similar to that belt. It can serve as a kinesthetic reminder and also gives some support to the abdomen to increase the intracavitary pressure. This can help reduce the load on the lumbosacral spine, reduce excessive lumbar lordosis, and decrease lateral bending. You have to use it cautiously though, because it could lead to weakening of the muscles that support the trunk. All right, well I think that covers that section. Why don't we go over some of the high yield points? Sounds like a plan. So for scoliosis, bracing is recommended when the Cobb angle is between 25 to 40 degrees in patients with idiopathic or flexible congenital scoliosis. It should also be in someone that has not finished puberty and their scoliosis has been progressive. If it's a single lumbar curve, you could use a lumbosacral orthosis. If the apex of the curve is T9 or lower, you could use a TLSO, but if the apex of the curve is T8 or above, you could use and should use the CTLSO like the Milwaukee brace. 
For someone with a lumbar strain that is looking for pain relief from a brace, you could recommend a lumbosacral corset to help serve as a kinesthetic reminder and provide a little extra support of their lumbar spine. Just make sure that they aren't relying on it too heavily and encourage them to strengthen their core so they don't rely on their corset for long-time core support. Well, before we close, why don't we do a rapid-fire review? Pitter-patter, Logan. Let's get at her. What have you got? A patient presents with a traumatic, unstable C2 fracture and is deemed not a surgical candidate. Which spinal orthotic would you recommend? A halo vest, as the fracture is unstable and it's a high cervical fracture. That's right. How about what pressure ulcer points should you be aware of for CTOs, especially in the supine and bed-bound patient? Well, I'd want to make sure to check the sternum, scapula, and occiput for skin breakdown and help ensure the patient has good hygiene in these areas. When would it be okay to use a soft cervical collar? I would only use it for a short period, less than 10 days, as a kinesthetic reminder after a muscle or ligament sprain of the neck. Like a whiplash injury, for example. A patient suffered a traumatic fracture of T12 and underwent posterior surgical fixation. What TLSO would you recommend to restrict flexion, extension, and lateral movements? I would recommend a Knight Taylor brace. The lateral supports give it that extra restriction in lateral movement that the Taylor brace does not provide. What spine flexion control TLSO would you recommend for a patient with a compression fracture of T10? For that, a Jewett brace would provide adequate flexion control for this patient so they would be able to remain upright safely without putting stress on that segment. All right, so you have a 13-year-old girl coming into your clinic. She has idiopathic adolescent scoliosis, and on x-ray, her Cobb angle is 33 degrees, with the apex of the curve at T7. What treatment would you recommend? Well, since her Cobb angle has progressed past 20 degrees, we can no longer just observe her scoliosis. It isn't at 40, so surgical intervention isn't warranted at this point. I'd recommend bracing her. Since the apex of the curve is above T7, she would require a CTLSO, like the Milwaukee brace. What brace would you recommend for a patient that has some low back pain? After an unstable fracture is ruled out, I could recommend a lumbosacral corset for a short period of time. It can help serve as a kinesthetic reminder, increase intra-abdominal pressure, and reduce the load on the lumbosacral spine. Well, that wraps up all the content that we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening in. We hope you found this podcast over spinal orthoses helpful. A special thanks to Dr. Russell D'Amico and Dr. Lynn Jedlica for their support, to AAP for allowing us this opportunity, and to Taylor Burnham for editing and technical support. Best of luck with ongoing board study. 